and in a moment's time, Hans slipped into his past and was back at Tannenberg. Each step came back to him, each sound, each hurried pace, his crisp uniform, his bulky pickle helmet, the shots from the front, the dirt flying up, the ceaseless shells pounding the ground, the smoke, the gray, and the blood that spewed and streamed like rivers, the fear, the thrill, it all came back. It started in the morning when the orders came to catch the Russians and outflank them from the south, and in a matter of an hour, they did just that. Hans couldn't remember where he was when he heard that Tannenberg would be it, but when he got there, he knew this is why they trained so hard, so many times. The vision was there. It was German, and it was glorious. There were confident faces all around. Hans could see the individual pieces of the German army work in beautiful unison, but he didn't have much time to marvel. Hans took cover underneath a large fallen tree. He squatted down, fell to his knees, pointed, found a target, then fired, as did his comrades. They kept close and fired as a whole unit. They were no longer strangers to war, and they took their first dance with eager, frantic eyes. They showed their discipline and stayed in their position until the artillery arrived and cleared the way. Another round of Russians led a charge and piled over the land. A whole mass of men in brown coats flooded the woods and came in like lightning, but the Germans were ready for them. The Russians dwindled and their charge ceased before they even got halfway, and Hans and his unit fired round after round. They could have waited until the end of time, but when that last hapless Russian went down, it was something of an unbelievable feeling that went through the unit. The feeling was a pounding in their hearts and a seething through their teeth. It was uncontrollable, and all were caught by it. They felt it in their bones. This was the force of will that they trained so hard for. They kept their positions and fired. As the morning ended, the cannons finally arrived and the friendly sounds of shells blasted whatever was in their way. They sounded off in succession. They were unnerving at first, but when each burst shook the ground it strengthened the blood and resolve in each man, they granted the entire German army beautiful gifts of time and space. Hans always marveled at the guns, the construction of them, the geometry, the swiftness and accuracy they held. But most of all, he admired their cleanliness. Polished bronze shine like a golden god of death. Even in the seminary, he thought about them, and he drew them in his notebook. He was awed by their power. The iron and the steel and the wood and the wheels and the horses all working in unison. And now, they were here. Never in the history of the world had men seen such power, godlike in every way. And now, they were finally here for the kingdom and the power and the glory. And blow after blow, the picture of what was happening became clear, so much so that some of the soldiers began to laugh. The demented smile passed from one man to the next, like a contagious illness. The sky darkened and everything seemed broken. These Russians want to die in filth? Let them. See if we care, a soldier cried out. We'll see them to good rest. But Hans ignored the revelry. He focused on the next target, which was anything that emerged from the heavy gray smoke. Nothing came. Ten minutes passed. 
Then a half hour. Nothing but smoke. Hans kept still and locked in focus while he listened to the cannons roar on. Then they stopped. The area was cleared. All heads turned to the rear, and when the trumpet blared and the command was executed, they flew in for another charge, and Germany took its glory, at least for that day. Hans looked back. His comrades were all smiling, their faces covered with dirt and blood, and to them it was what they waited for, to smell the foul stench of glory. They couldn't get enough. The charge went on. Hans raced through the woods and kept firing, and bodies kept falling. The remaining Russians fought valiantly, but they were simply outnumbered, and in an hour an endless fog of smoke and subsiding fires blanketed the entire landscape. Hans trampled over thousands of bodies, some corpses, some not. He walked in a trance. His nerves were completely shattered. He tripped over one body and fell face to the ground. The corpse was German, not Russian. He searched around and felt something soft, warm, and long. It was the intestines of another corpse. And as Hans squeezed it, the blood oozed out, forming a small pool in the dirt. Hans managed to his feet and saw the corpse's pale faces smeared in the dirt. He pressed on through the fog and the gray of the field. And from there, Hans caught the last charge of Russian cavalry, Cossacks and all. They clamored to a head, riding in Russian forward through the heavy fog. But in a half a minute, they were all mowed down by machine gun fire. The silence was replaced by shouts and hollers and exhilarated shrills and ungodly howls of his German comrades. So ein Tag, so wunderschön wie heute. So ein Tag, so wunderschön wie heute. Tannenberg was defended, a victory to remember. So ein Tag. And so another day. News reports of the Germans blasting in heroic speed through Belgium barely three weeks ago were now repeated here in Tannenberg. And the post would read, The Germans outflanked the Russians severely that day, and in two days' time with swift precision, decisive victory was won. Ludendorff had prophesied it, and it came true. The day that would live on in the hearts of many. The day the machine prevailed. And when the smoke cleared, the mystery of what was beyond the tree lines was revealed. It was land that sloped for many miles, with straight, narrow paths down the valley. It was beautiful land, old and firm. It was good, honorable land, and worth defending in every way. The next morning, the cleanup began. Dead Russians were piled into stacks and later buried, and the captured Russian prisoners poured into wagons. The nearby villages burned in that beautiful autumn dawn. There was more resistance toward the afternoon, and it mostly came from the Russian peasant children hiding in trees and nearby riverbanks. But they were soon relegated, and the evening for a change was calm and uneventful. And as Hans passed through, he heard the cries of villagers amongst the dead. Of the banks of a stream, he saw little Russian boys throw rocks at the passing hospital wagons. He pointed his rifle at them, but didn't fire. They bolted through the forest and disappeared. More Russian prisoners, most of them wounded and half-dead, were escorted away, and the remaining German soldiers yelled and screamed, pointing and laughing. Look at those beggars! 
Why do they look so glum? We're bringing them culture. Ungrateful dogs. The Russians glared back at their captives with disdain. They were tossed into carriages. They were merely brown and gray figures now, finished and ready to die. Forget Christmas. The war would be over by the end of the month. This was truly the sign of what was to come. This time, blood would turn into gold. Bahans was still in a trance. His hands still trembled. He needed a quiet space. He needed to pray. He thumbed through a Russian Bible that he found on the ground. He flipped back and forth from testaments new and old. He tried to find a passage that would quell him and stop his hands from shaking. But nothing did. A soldier whose face he knew but remained nameless patted him on the back. The soldier offered Hans a cigarette, and Hans accepted it with a nod. Then the soldier disappeared, and Hans lit the cigarette and dropped the Bible to the ground. An hour passed, and Hans made it back to camp. From there he saw familiar faces of men gathered together, resting and sitting in the dirt. The soon-to-be saints, Fonzel, Garin, and Oscar to the left, and Isaac, Baldrick, Meinhardt, and Siegfried to the right. They were all drinking and smoking cigarettes. They looked tired, but their faces glowed. They were still enraptured by the victory. And then, of course, there was everyone's friend leaning besides a birch tree, Monford, the asshole. Truth be told, he really wasn't much of an asshole. He was actually quite kind. He was a tall, wax-mustached fiend with a short strut that gave off the impression of extreme arrogance and his devious smile could be seen from miles away. It must have been genetic. Hans tried to find solace, but it wasn't there. He nodded his head to all the men, then departed. Then Monford approached him with a tap on his back. How many, Hans? Monford whispered. Hans didn't respond. Hans, how many? How many what? How many did you kill? Twenty. Twenty? That's all? Twenty-one. Well, it's early. It's early, repeated Hans. You still got your balls? asked Monford. Yes, answered Hans. Good, Monford said, patting Hans on the back once more. Very good. Hans left the men and moved back to the field. He passed through the corpses, while smoke still hovered in the air. He went back to the ravine and made his way through the village. After a mile, he halted and found a small chapel still intact. He moved through the weeds and went inside. The chapel was empty. Hans dipped his hands in the holy water and blessed himself. The chapel was rife with the smell of incense, and tiny specks of sunlight broke through the stained-glass windows. It was dark, with only a few candles lit near the statue of the Virgin Mary. It was cold in there, too, refreshing and bare. Hans peered down the aisle. His boots were heavy and muddied. He lumbered to the first pew, knelt, blessed himself again, and sat down. He closed his eyes for a moment. He nodded and agreed that this was what he was longing for, and now it was all in accord. As he prayed, a voice chanted, The good man would always be rewarded. 
but not in this world. He struggled to remember. He knew he heard it before, maybe in a badly written homily. The Lord had spoken, but he said no more. Hans prayed and whispered, Why? Why only here? He sputtered his words and pulled his hair. He ran his hands through his hair as mournful, sorrowful Jesus looked down upon him, the spikes still fresh on his palms, the crown of thorns thick and unkind. There were no birds in the sky. There were nowhere to be found. Lord, bless me. Now I can't, I can't feel anymore. Hard and fast footsteps came from the stairhead. It was a priest yawning and clearly hung over. But as he saw Hans deep in prayer, the priest exited softly through the back door. I can't abandon you. I can't abandon you any longer. Please don't abandon me. Please. I want to feel again. Hans felt the blood pulse through his veins. I felt the same way it had in the seminary. A quiet meditation, that quiet talk with God. But he wasn't ready yet. He studied the stations of the cross that were on either side of the chapel. He followed the story from 1 to 14, the condemnation, the story, the faith he once knew, all the characters and the fear on their faces, Pilate, Simon, the condemned son of God, and the crowd the crowd who embraced Barabbas and paraded him back home. It all made sense. Man at his worst, who would somehow be redeemed. And of course, the Roman centurions. Hans came from a family of soldiers, his father and grandfather before him, and he always imagined his ancestry went all the way back to the centurions at Golgotha, the place of the skulls where a man at his worst never felt so real. He saw it in their eyes. All hail, king of the Jews! What could he prove? And the centurions who looked back at all this, Hans always wondered about their stories, to think it all changed that day because of an earthquake and a lightning storm, and a dying Jew on a cross who spoke in beautiful allegories, who loved this world and wanted to teach but was nailed to a cross and left to die. And the onlookers in the crowd, what was it they saw that day that changed their minds? Had they changed? Had they grown to be righteous men afterwards? Or did it pass them by? For it's simple to assert that what they knew was Rome, and they granted their lives to it. But this, this was undefinable. Because the sacrifice was made, but was only seen by those who were there. Christ had to cross not only this life, but also the hell beyond it. He had to cross it, conquer it, and reach the other side. But the fact that the matter remained the same, no one saw that bravery. They only pretended to understand it. And maybe some did believe, but they were guilty, guilty like all the rest. The message was simple. Love thy enemy. It was still the hardest thing to do in the world. Hans's eyes filled with tears. He wiped them away and got back up. Then he headed to the back of the chapel, and his feet landed with heavy thuds. 
He sat down on the edge of the last pew and ran his hands through his hair once more. Hans looked at himself in his uniform. He couldn't pray, so he thought. Then he went back further in time to when he was a boy in the midnight mass where the whole town squeezed together in the chapel, a chapel like this one, small and intimate. And from there, he found himself back as an altar server, holding a lantern filled with incense, standing there with the rest, inhaling the smell of musk that came from the wood, and the open in prayer with the organ sounding, and the slow march towards the altar. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. It shed tears like no other hymn, and it didn't take long, for the choir was in full force that night, and it became harder to separate the sacred from the sentimental. And as Hans made his way back up the steps of the altar, he turned and saw a familiar face sitting in the first row of pews. It was Herr Weiss, the old man of Prussia, eighty years old but still dressed in his uniform, with all those stars pinned to his chest. He was still there, still hanging on, seeing through all souls. Hans stared at his bald head and that large red blood patch near the side of his eye. And as the old man smiled at him, Hans knew something was wrong. It was different this time. There was something in Weiss's eyes that said it, as if he wasn't there, as if he knew it would be his last Christmas. With angelic host proclaim. And mass continued, and the bells chime, and the sacrifice beset, and the homily went on like every Christmas. And indeed, it was the same story, for what else could it be? It was about the family traveling to Bethlehem, and Joseph and Mary heading to a manger, and behold, the Savior was born. And as Hans looked back at the old man, he noticed him staring up to the atrium, and the picture of the family gathered amongst the beast and straw. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Then a week later on New Year's Day, Herr Weiss died, and the whole town gathered once more on a cold, damp morning. And there the casket lay in front of the altar, covered in wreaths and metals. And there Hans made his way up to pay his last respects with his brother. As they knelt down and gave a silent brief prayer. Then Hans again took himself back to the day he received the letter. That afternoon when everything changed. That afternoon when he met his fellow seminarians. They too received the same letter. And tomorrow they would become men. For the German high command required all males to serve, even seminarians. The fatherland knew their sons were capable. Hans was no exception. So there he was, back in Königsberg, set for basic training, where he cut, dodged, and fired, and did exactly what he was told. And in eight weeks, Germany soldiers were primed and ready, for they were officially trained men who walked and talked like real soldiers. And as the drums blared on and the middle service commenced, the sergeant with his grizzled face finally smiled and pinned the medal to Hans's chest. And Hans remembered the sergeant's words. It was only five seconds in his entire life. 
but it rang over and over again in his mind. This war will be over by Christmas, son. This army is the greatest army ever assembled in the history of the world. I am honored you are now a part of it. And so he was, one of the brave 114th of Ausbreisen, with a rifle, black boots, and a shiny new helmet, a soldier through and through, now to participate. Hans was sure, the whole of Germany was sure, sure and excited of a bright and prosperous future. And so what if it came with a price? A little war was absolutely necessary. It was only natural, like pruning a fruit tree in the winter. The dream of the fatherland was the only dream that mattered. And in late July, this German army did just that. This army invaded Belgium. And for Hans, it would only be a matter of time. And so it was. Then Hans woke up and found himself still in the chapel with his head buried in his hands as the front door opened with force. Hans turned to see who it was, but he couldn't make out the face, only footsteps. It was Monford. Hans! Hans! Hans sat frozen. Monford approached him and said nothing for a long minute. He waited for another minute, then let out a sigh. He stared at the crucifix, patted Hans on the shoulder, and headed for the door. Come on, Hans. Let's go.